Hey friends, you're listening to Peel Matters on News Talk Saga 960. Today's conversation is brought to you from the Lusty Revolution, a food and climate justice podcast. I'm your co-host Rav. And I'm your co-host Rahul. And we are coming to you from Treaty 13 land, the traditional territories of the Wendat, Anishinaabeg, Haudenosaunee, and Mississaugas of the Credit. I recognize the many nations of Indigenous people who currently live on this land, have spent time here, and ancestors who have hunted and gathered on this land. I also acknowledge the many people of African descent who are not settlers, but whose ancestors were forcibly displaced and made to work on these lands. I remain committed to both Indigenous sovereignty and Black liberation by engaging in allyship work and believe both are key aspects of our food systems and the environmental movement. So we've had so many heat waves this year already. Um, Rahul, do you remember that absolutely insane heat wave we had a few weeks ago? It was just, it was wild. We saw record-breaking temperatures. I think the highest in Canada um, was at Lytton, BC, where they experienced 40 49.6 degrees Celsius, uh, which is five degrees higher than any temperature ever recorded anywhere in Canada. Um, And over the five days of this heat wave in BC, there were at least uh, 486 sudden deaths reported, which is a increase of 195% um, in sudden deaths than, you know, what like the average usually is. Um, I remember hearing about transportation infrastructure in Oregon, like just melting. Um, There were over 200 wildfires, some of which are still going on. Um, Evacuation orders were issued for whole towns and communities. There was just, there's so, so much that happened. Um, And this was a really big, um, you know, there were a lot of feelings and emotions involved during this week too. Um, In Peel, we didn't have You know, luckily we didn't have temperatures that were like 50 degrees, but we did still have really, really extreme heat, a really extreme heat wave. Um, So Rahul, can you share with us what it was like for you during during that week where we had like this insane climatic event? Yeah, Rav, thanks for giving some of that background. to our listeners, you know, it, it, it Rav's right, it does unfortunately continue to take place. Um, there was, there was horror. Um, I have, I have a fair bit of understanding of uh, how weather and climate takes place across, you know, North America, what we call Canada. And um, so there was horror at how these events were happening, how quickly, how, um, how much area was impacted and just how intense the heat was and now the fire um, and now the heat it's back it just keeps coming back every week but there wasn't shock um, a lot of this has been predicted not this particular heat wave but we know heat waves are coming more often we know they're becoming more intense they're getting stuck in place and you know for a future deep dive we can get into the nitty-gritty but essentially this heat and this even this cold, if you think of Texas, it gets stuck when the jet stream is less powerful. Those winds that push storms from west to east, they aren't moving things along kind of in this conga line, so to speak. And so these events, they get stuck and they get more intense because now there's more heat in the oceans, in the air. So there's a real pain 
just to seeing this manifest into reality, what the models, what the policy papers, what the reports, they keep predicting year after year after year. You know, not to uh, overemphasize just how horrible this event was, but you know, the town of Lytton, BC in these wildfires, in early July, it essentially burned to the ground. So after breaking these all-time records for three days in a row, a massive and sudden wildfire just tore straight through that community. Um, as of this recording in mid-July, we don't know the cause, but you know it, it keeps coming. And that is the nature of climate change. And that is the nature of what the predictions are. Um, you know, there's a lot of people in these communities that have shock. And um, it, it's, I think, an appropriate response as well, because I think the shock also comes with confusion. So not the shock of, oh, wow, this happened, but why did it happen, right? Why were the infrastructure, um, why were the response teams, and also why were the people, you know, contributing the most to the climate crisis? Why were they not held to account, right? Why was this fire allowed to occur? Why was this heat wave happening? And why did so many people suffer, right? These heat deaths is just, such a horrible tragedy amidst a COVID crisis to see people dying, in many cases dying literally on the streets because they are without a home or without access to a home, right? This is also one of the most expensive parts of the country to live in. So there's a, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of confusion as to, you know, this should not be happening in this way. We, we know this heat is coming and we know its impacts, but there is an ability for our communities to respond, especially in a part of the world which has so much wealth, albeit inequitable. And so then the question keeps coming up, right? Why do these tragedies occur? And how much more tragedy has to occur before we actually get serious about addressing this climate crisis? I am not saying this to you as an audience um, at the individual level. I think the individual has an understanding. I don't think our media institutions our government, and the very few, frankly, corporations, a couple of really big ones, fossil fuel corporations and big banks that have contributed the most to the greenhouse gas emissions that make events like this so much more likely and so much more severe. So, you know, what it all comes down to with these emotions I've been feeling and the pain you can feel so viscerally from these communities that are suffering is that we either have run out of time in some cases, or we are running out of time. There's no set deadline that the climate is going to tell us we must do by this time. We need to figure it out for ourselves. And what I can't stop thinking about the most is people at the margins are suffering the most. Often the people who have done the least to get us into these terrible situations are facing the greatest impact. They can't just throw money at it. They can't just find shelter whenever and wherever they want. And tragically, as we learned about in Lytton, some of them couldn't even drive away when there was a mandatory evacuation order because they didn't have a car. So, you know, the wealthiest, if that, if that is going to be our response, whether we can let the wealthiest escape, then what does that say um, about who we are as a society? So I'm really grappling with these questions and this pain because I know it will continue to spread. And we, at the minimum, need to find a way to respond to take care of the people who are suffering. Ooh, yeah, lots of really big thoughts and emotions. Um, thanks for 
uh, sharing all those um, thoughts with us similar to what you shared I also you know is really horrific and very tragic and scary um, but I also wasn't really shocked that it happened um, you did a great job at explaining how scientists and activists have been telling us for decades that this was coming and I, I, I am uh, the one thing that did shock me was I I was shocked it didn't happen earlier, honestly. Like I, I thought something like this definitely would have happened um, much earlier than 2021. Um, and yeah, so it definitely wasn't shocking, uh, still very tragic and you know scary um, to know that this was happening much, much closer to home. Um, and every single day, it feels like it's getting closer to home. Um, and I, and yeah, like you mentioned also, I, I don't think we're, we're ready. Um, I don't think we're ready yet to be able to deal with, um, you know, these big climatic uh, disasters and events that I'm sure we're going to face more of um, very, very soon. Um, honestly, during the, the, the few days that, and the week that this was happening, I, I didn't have much time in the moment to process what was going on. Um, and that's because I, um, I also got my period during that week. So my mind was elsewhere. Um, but I, I, anyway, so, um, yeah, when I was on my period, um, I, so one, I don't, um, deal with, uh, you know, like the thing, the symptoms and everything that comes with periods very well, um, just on like a regular day. Um, and also I, my body doesn't respond well to heat waves. So this was the second time in my life that, or actually, no, sorry, the third time in my life where I've been on my period during a heat wave. And it was really, really tough for me. I, there was one day I went out to the farm to work there and I, my body was just completely overheating. Um, I was getting dizzy and I, you know, like stumbling across the field. Luckily I was, you know, I was able to stay safe. Um, I wasn't working any equipment or anything like that, but you know, I could have been. Um, and then when I was driving home, I had to pull over at one point and just like blast my AC. I was really lucky to have AC in my car um, just to like, like cool myself down and, and stop my headache and like decrease my headache and and stay safe to be able to drive the rest of the way home so yeah that's something I've been thinking a lot about and if folks are interested more in learning about heat waves and periods and sharing uh your experience or hearing about other people's experience um there was a really great conversation that was uh, that was started on one of my Instagram posts so you can uh check that out um, but yeah, I've been thinking since then a lot about heat waves and these climatic events and how people who menstruate are going to be affected by that. Um, but after the fact, you know, after that week was over and my period was over, I feel like that's when I really started to be able to process some of the thoughts and feelings that I was having about around what happened. Um, and it was kind of weird. I, I felt stressed, you know, about what was happening and what it meant for our future. I felt um, a lot of eco-anxiety and just anxiety in general. Um, but at the same time, I did feel a little disconnected from reality. It, it kind of felt like I was living 
in some like Margaret Atwood dystopian apocalyptic story. And um, I'm, I'm still trying to understand what that means. Um, I know it's not, you know, probably the healthiest to feel disconnected from reality. It's like a big sign of, you know, some type of trauma, um, or it could be at least. Um, and I also don't want that disconnection to stop me from, from pursuing action that can help. Um, so yeah, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that, what that means for me. Um, but that is, you know, how I felt. Um, and yeah, other things that I kind of felt, I have really since then been questioning the future of farming and how long I'll be able to farm and have my profession be in farming. Cause if this is the reality of our, and it is the reality of our future, but if we're going to, if I'm going to have to be dealing with heat waves every other week, like it seems like we have been so far this year, I don't know if I'll be able to continue farming just for my physical and mental health. So that's, a, you know, something I've been thinking about and just thinking about like, if that is the case, then I have to leave farming. What, what am I going to do? Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention was, which Rahul, you kind of uh, you mentioned this also. Um, I've been reading more about Lytton and um, I've learned um, not through many news media, but just through my own research that Lytton is surrounded um, by many Indigenous communities that were also, you know, really hit really hard from this uh, heat wave and the climatic disaster and it just really um um yeah hit home for me um just like you mentioned about how marginalized communities and communities that face a lot of systemic oppression are always going to be hit first and they're always going to be hit the hardest um and I also want to mention that it's also on the same uh, at the same time, these communities are always the ones who are at the front of all of these movements and activism work. So yeah, lots of big emotions. Um, thanks, Rahul, for um, sharing all those thoughts with us. Um, unfortunately, human-induced climate disaster events like this are going to be our everyday life soon. Um, and we all need to learn how to prepare for these climate, climate disasters. Um, and like I mentioned, marginalized communities are going to be hit the hardest um, and the responsibility of taking care of our community and cleaning up after others, um, you know, who are who are the cause of these issues, but I, I doubt are going to take responsibility for them. Um, the actual responsibility is going to be put on mutual aid projects, uh, grassroots groups and community networks. So. We're going to take a short break, um, but after the break, I will be talking to um, after the break, I will be talking to Climate Crisis Connect, a super cool youth group in Mississauga who are helping our community prepare for a climate crisis and climate disaster. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Peel Matters on Newstalk Saga 960. Today's conversation is brought to you from the Lussie Revolution, a food and climate justice podcast. I'm your co-host Rav, and before the break, our other co-host Rahul and I were talking about 
all the heat waves and fires um, that communities not only across Canada but the world are experiencing. And unfortunately, human-induced climate disaster events like this are going to become more common and many communities are not prepared to deal with climate emergencies like this. So now I'm joined by Maham and Badria from Climate Crisis Connect. Climate Crisis Connect is a youth group in Mississauga who are helping their community prepare for a climate disaster. Before we get started, Maham, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? So hi, everybody. My name is Maham, and I'm actually the founder of Climate Crisis Connect. And I'm in my first year of undergrad at Waterloo for architectural engineering. And Patria, how would you like to introduce yourself? Hey everyone, my name is Patria. I am the secretary of Climate Crisis Connect and I'm in my third year at York University for disaster and emergency management. Great, thanks so much for introducing yourselves. Um, I've been following Climate Crisis Connect on Instagram for a while now and have learned so much from uh, your team already. And before we get into you know, like what a climate crisis is and how people in Peel can be climate ready. Um, Maham, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about Climate Crisis Connect and the work that you folks are doing in the community. For sure. So Climate Crisis Connect is basically a youth-led initiative that I made with Youth Challenge International. And our goal is to increase emergency preparedness in Mississauga, since I feel like our community is not aware about this issue as much as other topics in relation to climate change. And we want to advocate for marginalized communities since they are heavily affected by climate change. And the purpose of Climate Crisis Connect is to support youth to lead climate disaster education initiatives to gain emergency preparedness awareness and create resources to help people who identify in those marginalized communities in Mississauga. In your work, you do a lot to educate people on what a climate crisis is. Um, So my question is exactly that. What is a climate crisis? Is it different from a natural disaster or are we talking about the same thing here? Yeah, so a climate crisis is just a term trying to urge people that there is an emergency regarding the climate and regarding climate change. Now, when we look at if it's a difference between a natural disaster, well, climate crisis can impact the severity of a natural disaster. And it's been shown a lot recently with um, British Columbia due to climate changes, they're experiencing much, much higher weather related incidents. And in Ontario, we do experience some really cold, uh, extreme cold weather um, incidents as well. But basically, when we use the term climate crisis, we're just trying to tell people that there's a high threat of irreversible changes to global climate. And we just want people to focus more on climate change mitigation. Thanks for clarifying that. I think it's important to differentiate a climate crisis from a natural disaster because even, you know, without human interference, we would still have some natural disasters like hurricanes and storms. But if there was no human interference, we would not have a climate crisis. Um, And you mentioned climate mitigation, um, and that's a term we often hear along with climate adaptation when people are talking about climate change. So can you share with our listeners the meaning and value of both climate uh, adaptation and climate mitigation? Yeah, for sure. So climate adaptation is when we're focusing on adapting to climate change, and we're doing that by reducing negative effects and relocating resources in order to minimize damage. So When we're talking about adaptation, we're now saying, 
hey, let's cope about climate change, right? Because we're not necessarily able to prevent climate change, but we can cope by making short-term um, ways to deal with the damages and how we can basically, I guess, reduce the damage. So whatever has already been done, how can we prevent this from uh, harming uh, pe the people around us in a negative way? That's kind of what adapting is. So we're just adapting to the situation, right? Because we can no longer like say, stop climate change. But mitigation focuses on preventing climate change, right? So prevention, like mitigation is just a long-term idea of how we're going to, uh, I guess, deal with climate change as a whole. And when we do that, instead of waiting, we're basically saying, let's not wait for climate change to, you know, do its thing. Let's start now. Let's let's see what we can do to prevent this damages from even happening. So medication is about preventing the damages. Adapt adaptation is about adapting to the damage. Mm, okay, it sounds like climate adaptation is more reactive, whereas climate mitigation is more proactive. Uh, Maham, do you want to add anything, any thoughts to that? Yeah, I think um, the idea of climate mitigation adaptation is always thrown around of like the idea of like what it means, but um, focusing on what the differences are really important. I think Badria hit that. And Maham, why did you decide to start this climate disaster preparedness hub for marginalized communities and where did this idea or inspiration come from? Yeah, so um, the reason why I wanted to start a climate disaster preparedness hub specifically is I kind of wanted to learn like myself of how to prepare and I felt that the information that I found online wasn't sufficient enough. And another thing to that is I want to care for my family and I guess preparing in this way is showing that I want to be there for them when an emergency hits. And I think a lot of people disconnect to the idea of climate change or like environmental things since they're like, how is it related to me? But if you think about a disaster, like if a flood um, unfortunately like hit or something like that um, we would be affected by that since we would also we would all be in that situation and I think through that you need to that just gave me an idea of import the importance of it and I also feel like specifically to marginalized communities the reason why I wanted to focus on that is Disasters exacerbate like inequality because we see time after time that the access to resources and services that are normally given are or the ones that are that we do have access to are related to the social economical factors like our race, income, and ethnicity. And with that, I feel like most marginalized communities are left out of that topic since even though we're affected by climate change the most, which is kind of unfortunate because as I mentioned before, they are affected the most, but they're normally seem to be out of that topic for support. So I wanted to focus primarily on marginalized youth as it is a youth led initiative. And I'm hoping that with the information that we provide specifically for them, they can um, get those resources. 
And Badria, why did you decide to get involved with this um, with this program? Uh, so for me, um, it kind of relates to like my program, I guess. So as like focusing on disaster management and emergency management, when I heard about this initiative, I was like, let me just use kind of like what I've learned in a social setting or like into a group setting. And I, I like the message of the group and what they're trying to do. Because for me, it was like, I knew that uh, marginalized communities are the most vulnerable when it comes to any kind of disaster. And especially with a crisis like climate change, it was something that I wanted to get involved in. Thanks for sharing those experiences. It's really great to hear the inspiration behind creating this group and why others are joining. And maybe it'll inspire some of our listeners to get involved um, or to support you. So many municipalities and regions, including Mississauga and Peel, have some type of emergency preparedness guide or at least some resources for it. Um, Of the ones that you know of in Peel, can you tell us more about these guides and what they include? And do they even have information about climate emergency preparedness? Like, do they have tips on what to do if Peel is hit with extreme heat, a fire, a flood, or any other extreme climate event? So in the emergency preparedness guide, um, it just basically steps on like how residents can plan, prepare, and respond to an emergency in Mississauga. From what I've read, I know that it's, its main existence is just to help residents how to respond to an how to prepare for an emergency, how to respond to an emergency, and how to recover from an emergency. And while the role of the city of Mississauga and its partners, like the fire department, is it to help coordinate response services and help people in need when it's strikes, it's like there for residents, you know, to take individual action on how they can like uh, prepare themselves for any um, situation, whether it could be um, a climate crisis or like an immediate um, disaster. Yeah, and I'm gonna pass it on to Maham, who's gonna explain what she thinks is missing. Yeah, so what we've read from the emergency preparedness guide, there isn't really a focus or I guess, a section for marginalized communities. And I think that's what's lacking in the guide. And I feel like there are a lot of communities in the city of Mississauga that identify as a part of marginalized community. So I think having a section where it implements that is very important. Another big thing that I've seen is it hasn't been promoted widely like for the entire city like I didn't even know that this guide even existed till I researched about it so I think their marketing tactics or something like that they need to work on so a lot of people get access to it and another thing is they mentioned about keeping all of your fire extinguishers and all of your emergency supplies and such to be um, maintained but they also don't associate like the price that it takes to maintain it and I think especially for people who um, are in lower income families or are struggling with that it's it's difficult to have those prices also along to just the daily life of just living and I think having a way to see or figuring out something that reimburses them or some type of 
they can reduce the cost would really help. And also another thing is what Climate Crisis Connects covers. So we want to just provide resources that are focusing on marginalized youth. So examples could be uh, crisis relief consultations and maybe even creating a training platform. But also with that, we, we know that youth particularly don't really read like big texts and blocks of writing and we don't want it to be where you feel like you're in school again. So we're hoping to create activities and uh, life application um, events where you can actually use your knowledge and apply to it since I think that's very important rather than just reading a piece of paper. Another thing is educating all residents to know just like the basics of emergency safety. So what goes in emergency kits? Uh, how do you make an evacuation plan for your home or a place that you work at? Things like that. And the last thing is just overall raising awareness on this issue. Because as I mentioned before, that this issue of emergency preparedness isn't really talked about since it's kind of just like a future thing. Since I feel like a lot of people, when they think of like tornadoes or like floods and things like that, it's like, oh, it's, it's not going to happen. It's going to happen in the future. We don't really need to think about it. But if we don't prepare now, we won't know what to do in the future. So it's important to take action now. You brought up some really great points. Honestly, before this interview, I also didn't know the city had this emergency preparedness guide. And as I was skimming through it, um, it really surprised me because I realized that I'm not prepared at all for any type of emergency or disaster. Um, and because of the work I do, I feel like I'm a little bit more aware of uh, climate change and the danger our communities are in. And I know when these climate disasters hit, they hit hard and they hit fast. So if we're waiting until a disaster hits, it's probably going to be too late um, to do the preparedness work that we need to be doing now. Um, so I really encourage um, and hope that our communities, they we start to think about this and uh, start to prepare now to make sure everyone in our community is able to survive in these events. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. We are going to continue this conversation, but we do have to take a really short break right now. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Peel Matters on News Talk Saga 960. Today's conversation is brought to you by the Lussie Revolution, a food and climate justice podcast. I'm your co-host, Rav, and I've been talking to Maham and Badria from Climate Crisis Connect about climate emergency preparedness. Climate Crisis Connect is a super cool group of youth in Mississauga who are helping marginalized communities prepare for a climate disaster or emergency. Before the break, we were talking about guides and resources that exist on this topic. And one thing that came up was the fact that a lot of us have this mentality of, oh, it's okay, we have time, um, it won't happen tomorrow, it's gonna happen five years from now, 10 years from now. But the reality is we could get evacuation orders related to a climate emergency tonight or tomorrow. Um, and then we also find that there is this mentality of not acknowledging that these things could happen here, right at home. And I think that's because um, very we've been very fortunate um, in not experiencing um, a super tragic and horrific 
climate emergency like a lot of other places places in the world are experiencing right now. So Maham and Badria, what do you have to say to people who um, are maybe thinking that we're, you know, like relatively safe here in Mississauga and, and why do people in Mississauga need to be prepared for a climate crisis in the first place? I feel like as we like all mentioned before, it's like happening right before our eyes, right? And it's like, at least like from like what I've done my own research on in Ontario, like the average temperatures are going up by three to eight degrees Celsius. And that's how it's going to be over the next century. And even with like, as we've mentioned, we're experiencing a lot more uh, warmer summers and mild, mild winters, right? Um, like we'll maybe have like a really cold winter like here and there, but our summers are going up, right? The temperatures are going up. And I think it's important for like Mississauga residents to, you know, uh, recognize that and, you know, just to be prepared that, you know, any type of climate related incidents can happen in Mississauga because it has happened on the other side of um, Canada. And it, just because it happened, it doesn't mean it cannot happen in Mississauga. And with that being said, even today, like temperature is going, it's going, it's going up and we actually have a heat warning in Southern Ontario today as of this time. So it's just really important for us to, you know, become aware and become prepared um, in case of anything like captains or where we have we experience a really, really high um, temperature that in some cases we might have to even evacuate if it's too high. So yeah, this, that's why it's just really important for Mrs. Hoggins to like really prepare for a climate crisis because it's not like something that's gonna maybe take 10, 15 years. It could really happen anytime. Maham, do you wanna add anything on why you think people in Mississauga need to be um, prepared for a climate emergency and climate disaster? Yeah, so I think everyone knows this quote by Benjamin Franklin, by preparing to fail, you are preparing, by failing to prepare, you're failing, you are preparing to fail, my bad. Um, so it's basically saying that if we don't prepare, we won't know what to do. And I feel like, especially for Mississauga, we're an urban city. And with the stuff that's happening with extreme weather and all of that, we need to know what to do. Otherwise, there's nothing that we can do about it type of thing. And another thing is, I just feel like if we don't know what to do, um, we're just going to be panicking. And as you mentioned, like, it feels overwhelming when we're thinking about, um, like, if a disaster happens, right? But I think if we prepare, it will calm us in a way that we'll know what to do in that situation. And I think that's something that Climate Crisis Connect is trying to strive towards, that we shouldn't panic, but rather plan and we can get through that. We've been talking a lot about what a climate crisis, disaster and emergency are and why we need to prepare, uh, which may be a really hard reality for a lot of us to face because it means we're going to lose things, we're going to have to make some really big changes, uh, we're going to have to do a lot of adapting and do things maybe differently than we're used to or comfortable doing. So I want to give our listeners some concrete things and actions they can do right now to help them feel more prepared. 
So what are some steps our listeners can take to be prepared for a climate crisis? Yeah, so the city of Mississauga uh, mentions like three main steps. So the first thing is making a plan. So with that, it's about understanding what your plan, like your house evacuation plan should look like. And also making sure that you have the contact information with people that you need to reach out to during an emergency. That could be your friends, um, neighbors that you live close to, and also your family beforehand, because that also relates to having a communication plan, because if that isn't there, then it's not going to end up well. Uh, And with that, also making sure to have your medical documents with you and other uh, emergency contact information. The second thing is building an emergency kit. So they mentioned that we're supposed to have enough materials so you're prepared for at least three days. And they also mentioned this in the emergency preparedness guide of all like the different materials that you could add. And most importantly, making sure that your phone is always charged because (laughs) just in case. And the last thing is staying informed. So making sure that you're up to date with the social media that City Mississauga has and their websites. And they also have a radio station that if that fails, you can look at that into as well. And there's also other resources that they have mentioned in their guide. Thanks for sharing those tips. I will link in the City of Mississauga's Emergency Preparedness Guide in the episode notes if any of our listeners want to use that as a starting tool for becoming prepared for a climate um, disaster. Badria, do you want to add anything around what you think are some next steps our listeners can take after this conversation um, in in helping them prepare for a climate disaster? Right now, I feel like uh, everybody should just start to educate themselves more. Uh, definitely taking that extra time to just, you know, be aware of like what could potentially happen and just speaking in that knowledge can really uh, help you decide what you need to do to be prepared, right? So it's all about taking in that information. If you have time, building a kit just in case. So when it happens, you have it ready to go. And Again, staying informed with the local news, the websites, just honestly to me, the key thing is education. If you're educated on what you can do and what can happen, you're already ahead of the game. Thanks so much for sharing those tips. So there's obviously a lot we can do as individuals to prepare for a climate emergency and disaster. But as with most things, there are these larger systems that we're operating in. So what are some steps we need to take as a community, as a city, as a region to prepare for a climate disaster? Yeah, I also agree that it isn't just the individual level that needs um, work to be done, but it's also a community level. So in this case, making sure that everyone's like informed and connecting with each other. So what I mean by that is get to know your neighbors. Like, I feel like a lot of people take that for granted. And even for me, I don't know about you guys, but I don't even know the names of my neighbors. So making sure that we actually know who we live around and letting them know that we're there for them is a really big task. And 
it kind of sounds easier said than done, but if we do have a bigger tight-knit community, just it could just be your neighbors or let alone just knowing the people in your crescent or in your block will really help you um, get through a tough time like an emergency. And also you'll learn more about that and learn from them as well. And I think uh, Climate Crisis Connect wants to bring neighborhoods together by, as I mentioned before, like having activities or events that are near your area. So then you can get to know um, who your neighbors are and um, what you can learn from them as well. So I think that's really important. Yes, community is so key to uh, many, many things. Bajria, do you want to add anything on what you think we need to do as a community, as a city, a region to prepare for a climate disaster? As Longha mentioned, I, it's always about being like, connected with your community. Personally, in the community that I live in, while we don't necessarily talk about climate um, change, there is like an app that um, we use to stay connected with our communities. We may not know like each other's name, but just knowing that what's going on in the community uh, really helps. So the app that um, we personally use in my area is uh, Nextdoor. And this is something that like we do to stay informed on what's going on in the city. And it's been really helpful because they inform you on where you can get like, for example, your COVID-19 vaccine. So if we take that and use it to talk about climate crisis, that can definitely be a way to connect with the community. And as well as just, you know, looking up um, events in your local um, city and seeing if they have anything related to climate crisis. Great tips for our community to reflect on. Thank you for sharing those thoughts. So I'm wondering what's coming next for Climate Crisis Connect. I know you folks um, kind of came together as a group a few months ago and you're, you're still fairly new and there's a lot of opportunities for people to get involved with you. So what are your dreams? What are your goals for the next few months? Yeah, we're a, a fo- we're full of ambitious um, members on our team and we're hoping to, um, actually we have an event with Peel Community Council. I can't say much, it's a surprise, but um, I can say that it's about brainstorming uh, with um, our audience and organization on like a personal level to figure out like different topics that we need to discuss about in relation to climate change in our Peel region. And I think it's really important to get to know our audience in that way as they are the ones who are being affected the most, obviously, in um, topics like climate change and having them to share their voices and brainstorm different things that they want to see is really important. And also, um, we started with uh, Instagram posts about information. We're hoping to continue that, but maybe branch out to different blog posts and potentially making our own website, which is in the process. We're also working on different workshops like DIY emergency kit, um, interactive games and giveaways. So more is being planned, so stay tuned. So cool. That sounds really exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing how your group continues to uh, impact our community. Badria, do you want to add anything around what you hope is coming next for Climate Crisis Connect? Uh, so I kind of agree with everything that you said, but I think the most important thing is making sure that we use Climate Crisis Connect as a way to connect with um, our audience and connect with other 
in the area who are interested in learning more about climate crisis and climate change. That's my main goal. And I really hope in the next like, coming years, and I, my main thing is that I really hope that we can bring people together and just, you know, inform them on climate change we'll get, by giving them the simple and basic facts about it. So after this conversation, where can people connect with you to continue supporting you and learning from you? Yeah, so, so far we have our Instagram. So if you can, make sure to follow us at Climate Crisis Connect. So that's where you can see all of our, um, I guess, amazing designs and informational posts that you can um, learn from as well. Awesome. I will include all the social links in the episode notes for anyone who would like to connect with Climate Crisis Connect. Maham and Badria, thank you so much for joining us today and teaching us about climate emergency preparedness. I'm really excited to see what your group continues to do in the future. So Rahul and I have been running the Lussi Revolution podcast for a few months now. And if you've been enjoying it, we would really, really appreciate if you subscribed or left us a review. You can follow the Lussi Revolution podcast anywhere you can find podcasts. And you can always connect with me, Rav, your co-host on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Shade of Mitti or at shadeofmitti.ca. And you can connect with my amazing co-host Rahul on Twitter at Sustain Saga. Thanks for listening. <laughs>